Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Take your copy of God's Word. Begin to find Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. We started last week a series of messages that I told you I crafted uh, in um, talking about what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? What does it mean to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? And we want to talk about this for a few more weeks together and discover what the Bible has to say about being a follower of Christ Because I think it's important, it's crucial that we understand what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about, you know, spinning off from last week, following Jesus about relationships. And last week we started, we talked about the three kinds of relationships that we have. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the relationship that is the primary relationship as as a Jesus follower that everything else follows after. If you get this one relationship wrong... Uh, you're not going to head the right direction. You're not really going to be a Jesus follower like you probably desire in your heart to be. And last week, everybody raised their hand and said, yeah, I want to be a Jesus follower. And uh, so what does that really look like? Well, we want to say today that a Jesus follower is one who has a relationship with the Father. Amen? You have a relationship with God. And uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. But before we do, I came across this article in September of 1983 there was a Korean airliner, uh, 007, I don't know if you remember this or not, was shot down by the Russians. And the reason why they were shot down by the Russians is because they had drifted off course and ended up in Russian aerospace. And the Russians first denied the fact that they shot the plane down, but then it was discovered that they did. And the reason why they gave that they shot the plane down is they thought that it was a spy plane entering into their airspace. And so... They shot the the aircraft down. 269 people died. Out of that, one congressman, Larry McDonald, died. And so shortly after that, about literally 15 days later, after all the investigation and everything came out, President Ronald Reagan decided that it would be good for us that if our military would release to the civilian market our global positioning system. So by this time, the, the, the country had already... I mean, just poured $10 billion into what we now call GPS. And so in 1983, September 16th to be exact, President Reagan released to the civilian market, with some exceptions, GPS. Now, many of us remember that. It was not until Bill Clinton was in office, when President Clinton was in office, he released some more info to the civilian market, opened it up a little bit more. It really began to spread out, but it really wasn't until George Bush Jr. was in office that it really got fully released. And so now we have technology of GPS that we hold in our hands. Isn't that amazing? You know, I got this love-hate relationship with Siri, you know, because there are these times where you can say to Siri, you know, I need to find directions too. And you give her the information and she's like, okay, is this where you want to go? It's like, no, that's not what I said. You know, it's not what I said. I know I'm a Yankee who's turned Southern. Understand me, you know? And so 
you know, you can use your, your cell phone. It's so nice. You can say, hey, Siri, I'm hungry. Well, we can't have that. One possibility I see is best. You know, and then she starts giving me, oh, best burger. Hey, that's a pretty good option. So you can type in the restaurant, and Siri will give you either driving directions, or if you're in walking distance, you can put walk, and you can walk to this restaurant, and she will give you point-by-point point directions where you need to go. But like I said, Siri, I have this love-hate relationship because sometimes Siri's just wrong. You know, you, you ever put, put a, an address in and you're, you're driving and you show up in the wrong location? <laughs> you're like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. That happened to me when I first came here. When I first came here, until I called Google <clears throat> and tried to get some things changed, the address here would really put you on the other side of County Road 1, um, it would not bring you here. And I was like, oh, that's so frustrating. And so the first time I came here, I don't know if you remember, Laura, if you remember the first time I showed up at your office. The first time I came here, I was just checking out the church. The church committee was talking to me. So I was like, I'm going to go check it out. And so uh, I followed the direction. I thought I'd never get here from Columbus, Ohio. I was over there at a conference and heading home just this way just to check it out. And it sent me that direction. I was like, oh, my word. I was like, hey, uh, can somebody tell me where Level Plains is at? And uh, so they turned me around and got me back and I ran into the church and found it. So, so there is this love-hate relationship that we have, but there's an axiom that comes out of that. And here's an axiom I want you to write down because this is true. Here's this truth. You will never arrive at your, desti- your desired destination if you're heading the wrong way. Isn't that so true? You'll never get where you want to get to if you're going in the wrong direction. That is so true. But it's not only true in our natural world, using GPS or whatever, but it's also true spiritually. There are a lot of people who are heading with what they think is the right direction when they're indeed going the wrong direction. You know what I mean? I mean, there's people who think that being a Jesus follower is some of the stuff we talked about last week, you know, that it's a religion. You know, they're heading the wrong way because being a Jesus follower is not about having a religion, but they think so. And so We sort of boiled it down last week that being a Jesus follower is about being in relationships. And we talked specifically about three. We talked about these three. We talked about, you know, Jesus' life boiled down to his relationship with the Father, his relationship then with the disciples, which really flowed out of his relationship with the Father. We talked about that last week. Remember how we showed that Jesus said, I and the Father are one. They're connected. And he said, out of that relationship... He gave me these guys. He gave the disciples. So out of that flow, this relationship that Jesus had with them, and then out of this relationship that he had with the Father, not only with the relationship with the, with the disciples, there was this relationship with the world. You know, Jesus came to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. So he had this relationship with the world. And so you and I, we sort of, I hope you got it last week, that to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, means that we're like him. That means we're in relationship with God the Father, with each other, and with the world. And we talked about it in these terms. We talked about we are to abide in the Father, we are to be connected with each other, and we ought to share the gospel with the world, right? We sort of talked about those last week. Did did everybody get those? Did you get the notes on that? I hope. I hope that's what you did. So that's what being a Jesus follower is all about, but where is the starting place for that? You know, because you want to start out in the right location so you can go to the right location. Amen? So what I want to do today is I sort of want to talk about Jesus calling the first disciples, the very first guys. Now, understand, there's a crowd of folks following Jesus. By this time, Jesus is pretty popular. 
You know why Jesus is popular? Because he does some amazing things. He has an amazing message. And so they are following Jesus. There's a crowd of folks following Jesus. But what Jesus is going to do, he's going to narrow it down to 12 guys. He's going to narrow that down to 12 men that he will take along by himself and he will disciple them so that they in turn will be lifelong disciplers who will make disciples, who will in turn produce people who will be lifelong disciplers, who will make disciples. And here we are in 2019, hopefully somewhere along the line, you've been discipled so that you can become a discipler. Because being a follower of Jesus, Jesus, that's where it leads to. Amen? That's where it leads to. And so out of these relationships, we are disciple makers. Now, when you begin to think about this fellowship of Jesus calling these men, look in Mark chapter 3. Mark 3 is a, a great text, by the way. Uh, Jesus is being harassed every turn. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and, and so Jesus... Uh, sort of moves away from the crowd in verse 13. And notice in verse 13 and 14, it says, And he, that is Jesus, went up to the mountain, and he called to himself those who he, who he himself wanted. And they came to him. And in verse 14, then he appointed 12, that they may be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. When you begin to think about what Jesus is doing as he's calling these men, first of all, I sort of want to just take a pause, hit the pause button, because I want you to see how what we're talking about today really is impactful when you look at the life of Jesus. If you take Luke's account of this text, what you'll find in Luke chapter 6 is that Jesus draws away from the crowd. He goes up onto the mountain, by the way, unnamed mountain, goes up onto the mountain, and he does something. You know what he does? He prays. He goes up on the mountain and he begins to abide with the Father. Now, that is an amazing thing when you think about Jesus is God. I mean, he's 100%. Amen? Yet Jesus takes the time before he makes any impactful decisions. He goes up into the mountain to pray. Well, we looked last week that he said he doesn't even speak on his own initiative. What the Father tells him to say is what he says. It's what he's been telling us through his ministry. And so Jesus goes up to the mountaintop and what is he doing? He's praying. Praying before he calls these men to be his. That is so important. Listen, folks, don't misunderstand anything we've said last week or this week that we're going to say. It all stems from here. If you're not in a relationship with the Father, if you're not abiding in the Father, you're not going to be a follower of Jesus. Amen? This is where it starts. Am I abiding? Am I in the Father? Because he, he says he's in me if I'm saved, right? Am I abiding with him? So everything flows out of it. So I'm in a relationship with God. That's the whole point of today. So notice now what Jesus does. Jesus, the Bible says, that being a Jesus follower, first of all, for these guys, began with an invitation. So being a Jesus follower begins with an invitation. Three things about this invitation that I want to talk about this morning. First of all, notice verse 13. <clears throat> it was an invitation, not to a religion, but it was an invitation to follow him. Notice the text. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he wanted. Notice that text. Jesus did not call these guys. He did not extend an invitation to them into a religion, but into a relationship. The word called, if you look at it from the Greek tense, it's a verb. It tells us that this calling 
that Jesus extended to them is not to a destination, but into a relationship. He is really calling them literally to himself. That's what God does in our salvation. When he gives us the effectual call into salvation, he is calling us into relationship to be joined with himself. Think about that. That's pretty amazing. That the God who created everything by his spoken word would want to have a relationship with us blows my mind sometimes. That he would want to call me out of my deadness of sin into a new life in Christ for relationship. That's just incredible to me. You know, it's interesting that Jesus didn't call them, not just into a religion, but he didn't call them into a church service. You know, Jesus wasn't calling them into some kind of moral activity. Jesus wasn't even calling them to go to heaven with him. That's a beautiful benefit, isn't it? I mean, it's a great byproduct of the fact that I'm in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in relationship with the Father by him. And so one day I'm going to, listen, I'm just going to carry the relationship even deeper. Right? The relationship for me is now in the present. But listen, it's going to be even more realized when I'm in heaven and I'm standing in his presence. How awesome is that going to be? I can't even imagine. I can't even begin to think what heaven's going to be like. I read the Bible about what it's like, and it still blows my mind. Amen? I still can't comprehend everything about it. We did a study on heaven on a Wednesday night. I still can't figure it all out. I just know it is going to be better than here. But it's going to be better than here, not just because I'm not going to have any more sickness, not because I'm not going to have any more pain, not because I get to go see my loved ones, and I'm looking forward to that. But I'm going to tell you why it's better. The relationship that I enjoy that's living with my Lord Jesus Christ in the present will become an even deeper, greater relationship because it'll be face-to-face. That'd be awesome, amen? That would be a tremendous thing. And I want you to understand that in order for us to enter into this relationship, there is an invitation that is given. These guys were invited to a relationship with Jesus. And the question I want to ask is, why? Why would he invite these guys into a relationship with him? I mean, think about this. The reason why we know already, because Scripture tells us that he invites us into a relationship with himself simply because he loves us. Think about that. He invites us because he loves us. Now think about these 12 guys. Why would Jesus want a relationship with them? Because he loves them. Listen, they had nothing to offer. They had nothing to bring to the table. I mean, think about it. These guys were, most of them fishermen, tax collector, a hated group of folks. Amen. They weren't the social elite in the society. They weren't the religious, um, you know, smart guys. They didn't, they didn't have all the degrees. They hadn't been to Bible college and seminary. It just blows my mind that uh, today, you know, pastors look down on other pastors who've not had a Bible college or a seminary degree. There's some guys, I can tell you right now, never been to college, can out-preach some of those guys who got PhDs. I'm just here to tell you, not true, brother. Yeah, that's just the truth. But Jesus called these guys. They didn't have anything to offer. There was nothing in them that Jesus said, you know what? That guy, Peter, I got to have him. I mean, I'm just going to bring him on board. You know, that, that guy, Judas Iscariot, man, he's just got such great integrity. I'm going to bring him on board. Yeah. You know, and even when he came on board, he was a thief. People say, you know, it's kind of surprising that he walked with Jesus and turned on Jesus. Listen, he turned on Jesus from the get-go. He never put faith in Christ. That's the reason why he did kiss him and portray him like he did. He was a thief. The devil had his heart the whole time. <laughs> Amen. One day the devil just entered him on. Listen, they say, well, the devil entered him on the night that he betrayed Jesus. But listen, that carried him to the ultimate end. But he was already stealing. 
<laughs> he was already a thief, which shows his heart was not in tune with the Lord. So these guys, listen, these guys were called. Look at verse 13. And he went up into the mountain and he called to him. Notice this now. Those, those 12 guys who he himself wanted. He wanted those guys. That Greek word there is a very interesting word. It is thelo. Thelo means this, that I desire or that I strongly want something. And so Jesus had a desire. He had a strong want in his life to call these guys, these 12 men to be in relationship with him. It wasn't they wanted it. It was he wanted it. And so he calls them and brings them in. Jesus would even remind them later when they're sort of squabbling back and forth. Jesus said, hey, let me remind you of something. You did not choose me. I chose you. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And you know what? The same thing can be said of us. We didn't choose him. He chose us. Listen, listen to this, this life statement. He, he invited these men into a relationship with himself because simply he wanted to have a relationship with them. And you know what? The reality is the same is true today. He wants to have relationship with you. If being a follower of Jesus is all about relationships, how do we get into this relationship with God? We get into this relationship with God because he desires to have a relationship with you. How do I know this? First Timothy chapter two, verses three and four. Listen to what it says. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires a relationship. God desires a relationship so much so that Paul would finish that verse out in verses 5 and 6 of First Timothy 2. He says, For there is only one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself, listen to this, a ransom for all to be testified in due time. See, here's the problem. God wanted this relationship with us, but we got a problem. We got a sin problem. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin makes it so that we cannot have a relationship with God. Listen, our sin, because we're dead in it, Listen, because we're dead in it, we could not have a relationship with God. But here's what God did. God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Did you ever notice what the Bible says? Before the foundation of the world, he saved you. But at the right time, God sent Jesus into the world to do what? To die on the cross. To do what? To be the propitiation. That is the payment for your sin. To be the ransom for your sin. That is to pay the, pay the cost of your sin debt. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. There is a wage and somebody has to die. And Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, came to reconcile you. That is to make you right between you and God. That you could have a relationship with the Father. Jesus would come and take all your sin in his own flesh and die on the cross. Bless God, he was buried because you buried dead people, amen? The wages of sin is death, but hallelujah, on the third day, he rose from the dead. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that he rose from the dead in order to make you righteous. That is to make you right with God. And you and I now have a relationship with the Father through the Son. Why? Because he made access. He made it available. He brought us into relationship. Don't forget, he called those whom he wanted, amen? And so we are his. He has invited us into this relationship, provided a solution for our sin because we could not provide a solution for ourselves. We were incapable of doing that. Another life statement is simply this. He loved you so much that he would send Jesus to mediate and to restore the relationship that you broke, that you lost simply because of your sin. And he did that because he's motivated, as John would say in John three sixteen, by his love for you. That's tremendous. What a blessing. Amen. Now the thing about this invitation, I want you to understand that he extends this invitation. He calls these folks into a relationship and he extends this relationship to them 
But did you notice something in verse 13? Go back to the text. It says, and he went up to the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted. And notice what it says in the end of verse 13. And they came to him. They responded to the invitation. They came. Listen, they came. That, that word that's used there for the Greek, I'm not going to even try to pronounce it there. I may just totally destroy it. Apexomai is the name of, is the word there. But it says this. It says to move away from one place into another direction. So here's what they did. They moved from what they were doing, what their life was about, and they followed Jesus. Do you remember that when Jesus passed by the sea and they were washing their nets and he called Peter and James and John, when he called them, you know what, you know what they did? The Bible says they put down their nets and they followed Jesus. What does a Jesus follower do? He follows Jesus. He's been invited into this relationship and he, he receives this invitation that is given to us into this relationship. Following Jesus, listen, is not a one-time event, not a one-time prayer that you pray at the end of a service in the foyer of a church or in the front of a church. It's not a one-time event that happens to you at some other place in your life. Listen, following Jesus is the journey of your life. It is your life. Listen, remember, we're going to talk in a minute. John 17, 3, we talked about last week. Jesus said, as the Father is in me and I in him, listen, I'm in them, right? It's this relationship. He calls them into this relationship to be together with us. And so you and I are in relationship. We're on this journey together. I'm not doing this alone. I can't do it alone, amen? Now, I want you to understand something about accepting this invitation. Let me just put down some truth for you. There's not a single person in this room here Not a single one of us in this room who has ever entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ on your own initiative. Amen? If you're not invited to come, if the Spirit of God is not working on you to come, you're not going to come. Why is that? Because everyone has to be invited. He makes the first move. Amen? The Bible says he, what? Loves us first, then we love him. Why? Because in our sinful state, listen to me, we would never choose him. Never would we choose him. But I love what Jesus said. With God, it's not impossible. Why? Because with God, all things are possible. You know what? And that was a whole conversation about who could be saved, right? That's what the disciples said. Then who can be? Jesus, you're frustrating me. Who can be saved? (laughs) With God, anybody. Amen. Amen. He invites us into this relationship. Don't miss that point. What we do is we respond in faith. We respond in faith. By grace, you've been saved through faith, right? It's not a work, not anything we can do. We just respond to the invitation. These guys were called by Jesus, and the Bible says simply, they came. They followed. They responded to the call of Jesus into the relationship. And listen, let me tell you something. You're not in relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. Listen, you missed this. You're going the wrong direction. You're at the wrong starting place because this is the starting place. And if you're not here, you're going to end up like the Korean Airlines 007 in the wrong airspace and be shot down. It's not going to be a positive thing. So I want you to just think about that this morning. Let me just ask you the simple question. Have you been called into this relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are you simply going to church because this is what religious people do? You know, you're just walking out of religion. If that's what you're doing... You're heading the wrong way. If you're just joining the Baptist church to join a Baptist church and say, hey, I'm, I'm a member of a church. You know, I feel good about myself. If you're just out there trying to do moral acts. 
and you feel good about your morality and you hope one day the scales are going to tip in the right direction, that you're going to have more good than bad, let me tell you, you're going in the wrong direction. But I can tell you, and I can promise you this, if Jesus Christ has laid hold of your life and has called you by his divine grace into relationship with himself, and by faith you believe that it's all him, nothing of you, and you've surrendered to his work of the cross, his death, his resurrection, listen, let me tell you, that's the, that's the starting place. But neither, listen, but neither do you want to try to finish it in your own strength, amen? That's the rest of the sermon. You don't want to finish in your own strength either. You don't start yours, you don't finish in yours. So here's the second point I want to make to you out of this text this morning, and that is this. Being a Jesus follower is all about intimacy. Intimacy with the Father. Intimacy is what Jesus called them to. Did you notice what he said in the text? He said, go back to verse 13. He went up to the mountain and he called to him those who he himself wanted. Why did he call them? Notice verse 14. Then he appointed 12 that they might. Now notice what he wants them to do. First of all, they might, first of all, foremost, at the very beginning, be with him. Be with him. That's intimacy. The purpose is that he wanted to have a relationship with them, that they would be with him. You know, the goal of the Christian life, some say, is to be good, to obey God. You know, I'm going to live for Jesus. We talked about all those things last week. You know, so, but, but Jesus said the goal is that they could be with him. Listen, that's a tremendous blessing. But that sets a lot of freedom in my life, right? There's not a list that I'd say, well, if I'm going to be in Jesus, I got to do this, 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 this. Now, I do believe that in Jesus, as I'm walking with Jesus, he's living his life through me. The last point of the sermon is going to be, as he's living his life through me, there is an overflow. And we'll talk about that overflow in a minute. But listen, Jesus simply called these guys to have a relationship with him, to be in intimacy with him. And so, listen, they came. So the primary call on our life is not to do something for Jesus. The primary call on our life is to be with Jesus. And as I'm with Jesus, listen, the goal of this relationship is that he's going to live through me. We talked about that last week. John 17, 3, remember, is this. And this is eternal life that, what? You may, they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the goal of salvation. That's the goal of his call is that we would know him. Because listen, as we know him, listen, the closer I get to the Lord, listen, the closer I get to the Lord, the more that he uses me, the more that my life begins to reflect his life. Amen? It's when I'm not close to the Lord. It's when I forget that it's not about me just living and doing a bunch of stuff. But it's about me praying and abiding with him. And as I pray and abide, God gives the directives. Amen? I mean, that's what happened to Jesus. He often went off to pray, to be alone, to be with the Father. And then he would tell us he doesn't speak on his own initiative. Everything he sees the Father do, he does. How is that? That's the overflow of his life. So two goals of the Christian life, write them down. The overall goal is this, to know God. Do you know him? To know God. The daily goal, so how does this look like daily? The daily goal is to spend time with him. Because I am convinced if we get this right, then everything else will fall into place. Do you know what Jesus did with these guys? Can I just be honest with you? Jesus calls these guys, right, into relationship with himself. And you know what he's gonna do? And what we do is we wanna jump into what they're gonna be doing. We wanna jump to the preaching. We wanna jump to the casting out the demons. But do you know what Jesus did in forging a relationship with these guys? He mentored them. He poured his life into them. In this relationship that they had with Jesus, he trained them. He didn't just train them so they would go out and do a bunch of stuff. No, he trained them how to abide, 
how to be in this relationship. How to, how to you have this relationship so that what they would do is out of that relationship, they would spill out into preaching. It would spill out into casting out demons. It would spill out into being what Paul would say later in Ephesians 2. They are the foundations of the church. But it wasn't what he called them to do. It's what he called them to be. And out of that relationship with him, God used them mightily. And that's the third point. Being a Jesus follower overflows in every area of my life. He says in verse 14 that he would do what? He would bring them and then he would have this relationship with them. And then he would send them out to preach. They would go after they had this relationship to preach. Not prior, not before. It wasn't they were earning rights with God because they were preachers or sharing the gospel. And by the way, the word preacher there is not me. All right. He didn't call those guys to be, you know, dressing suits and ties and preach from a pulpit on Sunday morning. No, proclamators of the gospel. That's all of us in this room that all of us out of our discipleship, we should be making disciples. That's how we do it. We preach the good news of the gospel. That's the only thing that saves anybody. And so his mission for them is that their lives would make known his life. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. I want his life to be known through my life. I want people to know what Jesus is like and who Jesus is by looking at us. Now, you know what? The truth of the matter is that's always been the case. Did you know that? How do we know that's the case? Because you know what people say out there in the world? I'm not going to that church. There are a bunch of hypocrites over there. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for our lives to match Jesus' life. Now, some of them are looking for a good excuse. The devil's blinded their eyes that they may not see the truth of the gospel. So some of them are looking for, honestly, looking for an excuse. But the reality is it's always been that way, right? Everybody's looking for those who follow Jesus. Those who claim Jesus, they are looking for us to be like Jesus. Now, let's understand this too. They do have a warped view of who Jesus is, right? They have a warped view of his love. They have a warped view of his compassion, of his judgment. They have a warped view of all those things. But the reality is... We as believers know better. We should be like Jesus. Out of our relationship with him, we should have this overflow. There's a guy named Clyde Cranford in his book about discipleship. He wrote this. He said, this is real Christianity, a spontaneous overflow of the life of Christ through us. That's well said, right? Because we said last week, Paul said the same thing. Paul says, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's what? Christ who lives in me. It is, it is Christ who's living in me and he's pressing his life out through me. So notice the text. I want you to see something here. Verse 14. Then he appointed the 12 that they, listen to what he says, might be with him. There's the goal, to be with him. As a result of that, as a result of him being, or them being with him, that he might send. Did you catch that? It's not the goal of the Christian life that I have to say, well, I'm going to send myself out into the world so I can be a light for Jesus. No, Jesus, as I'm with him, he sends me out. You know, when I grew up in New Jersey, I never dreamed one day that I would live in Alabama. I never, I never thought that would be the case. I know that Marina's parents uh, would probably eventually move back here, but in all honesty, I never thought. I thought I would stay in the Air Force and probably wherever I ended up, my last duty station is where I would retire. It's probably what I would do. You know, and I never dreamed that'd be Alabama. Matter of fact, when we were in the Air Force and moved from Delaware to Mississippi, I thought I needed to buy some cowboy boots, a big buckled belt, and a cowboy hat to try to fit in. Because I wasn't sure what it was like. It was a culture shock for me. It was different. 
You know, you go back to GPSs, you know, how do we get around before GPS? We got around with maps and, you know, directions that people give. And I learned right away in the South when I came here that direction giving is a lot different than the North. Because down here, y'all give directions based on where somebody used to live. You know, you go down to the old Simpson place and make a left. I don't have a clue who they are. You see what I'm saying? But isn't that the truth? That's what we do. But as I began to pray and I began to seek the Lord, you know, when I was in the Air Force, and we, we listen, we lived nominal Christian lives. Marina and I did for a lot of years. We were nominal. We, we went to church, yes. But we really weren't dedicated to praying. We weren't really dedicated to giving money to the church. We weren't really dedicated to, to seeking Jesus daily and having a relationship with him until we got to Mississippi. And God, I don't know, he just did something. He did something radical in our lives, and he began to work on us. And I told you, when I was 10, I thought I was going to be a Catholic priest. When I was right before I left for the Air Force, I even preached in a little small church in Browns Mills, thinking that God was beginning to work. But it wasn't until he began to fashion in me in Mississippi this deep longing to be with him. And out of that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, as I began to grow in my devotion time, I began to pray and seek his face and just spend time with him. God began to hammer down in my life his call. And so eight year mark of the air force, I was able with confidence to walk into my boss's office and say, I'm leaving. I know what God's called me to do. There was such a peace over our hearts. Wasn't there Marina? God just gave us that peace. But listen, that wasn't so I could come do this. Listen, you do this for a year, year and a half. You'll find it right quick. There's a lot of other things you could be doing. Amen. For Jesus than doing this. But listen, as I began to do this, listen, it wasn't so that I can please God and say, God, look at me. Look at me. I'm a preacher. I'm preaching your word. No, it was out of that relationship that this is what God called me to. And sometimes I wonder, can I just be honest with you? I wonder even as a pastor and a follower of Christ, when there's times and seasons in my life where I have not made it about the relationship, I made it about the do, maybe the preaching, the leading the church, you know, leading my kids, my family. When I made it about the do and not the relationship, I wonder what other things, what other blessings I may have missed out of the overflow of my relationship with God. Do you ever think that? What have I missed? Maybe there was something God was going to call me to. Somebody said, well, he's sovereign. If he's going to call you something, he's going to make you do it. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. He's sovereign, but isn't he also gracious? And God will let you wander from point A to point B to point Z and then bring you around. But he'll let you suffer out there. And I'm going to tell you what, the most miserable man in the world, my father and me say this all the time, and I believe it. The most miserable man in the world is a man outside of the will of God. And if you want to be in the will of God, listen, it goes back to here. Are you abiding? Are you in a relationship with him? He has invited you. Are you in relationship with him? Because out of relationship with him, everything else is going to flow for your life. Let me just conclude with um, a statement and then a word from Jesus because he's better than me. Again, I, I wonder if we really catch this, that everything Jesus desires to do through us, he accomplishes out of the overflow of that relationship with us. Here's how Jesus said it. We ended here last week, and it's so beautiful. I'm going to end here again. John 15, 5, Jesus says this. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Don't miss it. He 
who abides in me and I in him does what? Bears much fruit. For without me, you can do zero, nothing. You, You get it, don't you? That we're in this relationship with God and that anything that is good out of my life flows out of the overflow of that relationship. So that's what you need to settle this morning. Am I in a relationship with the Father? And if you're in a relationship with the Father, you say, oh, I know Jesus is my Savior. I know he saved me. I I stand on that truth. Then my question is, you may know him, the overarching goal. But what about that daily goal? Are you spending the time with God, getting to know him in order that out of that will overflow everything else? out of your life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.